podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. Carl Matchett, we have breaking news from David Ornstein. Jurgen Klopp has signed a contract extension with Liverpool that will see him and his staff stay at the club until 2026. How does that make you feel? I'm so glad. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. We are also joined... By the one and the only Mr. Gags Tandon. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> so, so glad. <laughs> We've got the King of Cardigans in the chat. Mr. Harinder Singh. How are you, sir? I'm currently trying to work out how to get off mute. Um, the King of Cardigans <laughs> it- fucking delirious i'm telling you now i've had two hours bit hours sleep my head hurts my eyes are stinging i'm driving through horrible traffic to collect my son from um nursery which means i've got to cut through central london which means i've also got to go past the home of the plastics uh chelsea so this is going to be a lot of fun for me but i am i am seriously happy because this morning it was like oh yeah it's kind of going to happen sort of thing and you're like oh, okay this is great news you know nice little boost for the morning because everyone's really tired and fatigued of getting home at four o'clock in the morning because everyone wants to just keep on closing motorways all over the place but i just didn't expect it to happen that quickly i didn't expect him to buy the by the afternoon to go here you go you know what just as you're about to go into your tea and crumpets type time here you go Jürgen has signed till 2026 and that's just like wow 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 fuck he's gonna outlive most people's contracts at the club in regards to players oh shit new players too oh it's everything a Liverpool fan could ever want right here right now after uh, yesterday's performance in the Champions League semi-final this is sort of like the cherry on the icing of the cake and everything it's many cherries on that cake you know it's absolutely amazing it may well just be a cherry cake. It may well just be a cherry cake. Carl Matchett, we deserve this. We live through Graham Souness taking a machete to our club. We lived through Roy Evans and his anti-defensive football philosophy. We lived through Julier and his, no, we're not going to sign Zidane, but here's the next best thing. He's the next this guy. It's, it's Igor Bishkan. We lived through... Hodgson, we lived through dark days under Rogers. We lived through some horrendous stuff while those in Manchester won titles galore, while plastic clubs in Chelsea and Manchester popped up with billions, while Arsenal had their great era. We sat through all of that with very little to cheer about Istanbul in 05. We deserve good things, and Jurgen Klopp, signing on to stick with this club and this team that he has built and his identity 
is a good thing that we deserve. What say you? I remember being on the cop for one game many, 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 many moons ago, sat next to my uncle, and Phil Babb backheeled a clearance off the line. And I remember thinking to myself at that moment that that was probably the moment of the season. We've come a distance since then. <laughs> if, if Phil Babb doing anything is the moment of the season, the season is lost. Phil Bob's no, no Phil Bob's most Dave. Yes, quickly, guys. This is how big is this for the players, and how big is this for the season, the rest of the season? Because at the end of the day, you know there might be some fatigue coming into some players. Some, you know, it is a tiring time. People, he started to start the same team. Just a couple of changes now, rather than the the three or four he was doing before. It's just one or two now, and he's obviously it's a business end. You're going to have to, but. How much of a boost is this going to be to the players that have already committed, which is about four or five at the start mm. of this season? And then the next line, because there's going to be Sadio so, coming up and Mo coming up. W- we How were talking this, this morning, guys, when the yeah. news broke out. So I, I think I have the timeline right in saying that Neil Jones was the first one to say it on Twitter and then Paul Joyce dropped an article. And then we were talking about this on WhatsApp earlier about what this could potentially mean for Salah. Could this be a trigger for Salah to say, if Klopp's committed, I'm committed, I'm tied to him, and sign on? So there's that aspect of it as well. And like you mentioned, Mane, Naby as well, one whose future's a little bit up in the... Well, completely up in the air, because he's got one year left after this. And how highly is Klopp talking about him at the moment? Exactly. So if you're any of those players, like I said, why would you want... Like, if, if you're Klopp, how could you look at this group of players with Ali, Trent, Robbo, Virgil, Fab, all signed long term? The likes Trent, of Ebu signed long term. Yeah. I said, I said them. I said them. Oh yeah. Uh, Diaz signed long term. Jota signed long term. If you're Klopp, how could you walk away from that? And if you're Salah and you're Mane and you're Naby, how are you going to look at Jurgen Klopp and this team and want to go anywhere else? When you look at the adulation you get from the fans, you look at the quality of your teammates, you look at the genius of your manager, how well run your club is, how this club, unlike others, goes out of its way to accommodate your life and make things as easy as possible for you, you have to really be looking at it and thinking, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be long term. And Klopp signing on is a massive part of that. Do you know what? I'd, I'd even say short term as well. I mean, I, I absolutely don't doubt anything that you've said there, but just in terms of the timing of it, mm. if you look at our next game and obviously the, all the big massive matches that we've had, rivals and derbies and knockouts and all the rest of it, is let's say a teeny tiny bit of danger that a Saturday early kickoff in the league against a side not going for a uh, European spot it seems a bit mundane, but Newcastle are the most informed side in the league right now. They've won the last four and nobody else has. I don't think it's coincidence, to be perfectly honest, when uh, when this announcement might happen. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. It, they've just made it all about Jürgen, haven't they? That, te- that mm. television programme, whenever it previews up and starts on Saturday morning, literally has now become all about Jürgen and not about Newcastle. Exactly. And as well as that, just for any of the players that are you know, starting to feel the effects of a long season and maybe running on last reserves of energy. This has to be like a revitalizing serum 
where you know you're just getting that extra adrenaline shot in the arm that Christ he is in this for the long haul and look it's it's come full circle with Klopp now where prior to the pandemic I I, I think we all thought he's going to stay and stay and stay why would he leave like what why would he want to go anywhere else what else is there after this there's only a couple of clubs that you could really see Jurgen Klopp managing. A couple of clubs that would get him and that he would get. I think Marseille is one. I think Sevilla could be one. And I think like Napoli could be one. In terms of city and culture and what those people stand for, I think he could get on board with them and they'd get on board with him. But none of those club have the clubs have the draw of us. None of those clubs have the finances of us. They don't have the players that we have to bring him there. He'd have to start all over again. Here, he just has everything he wants. And we get into the pandemic. He doesn't get to celebrate the title that he wins with his team that he built. Doesn't get to celebrate it the way he wants. Then his mum passes away. He doesn't get to go home for the funeral. He doesn't get to say goodbye. Obviously, he... He looked, at one point last season, he looked like a defeated man. I, I Was it Fulham at home? I remember the camera panned to him, and he stood in the touchline, and he had his hands in his, in his pockets, and he was just looking at his feet. And the game was going on, and he just looked like he was somewhere else. And it was completely understandable. And that was the first time I had real doubts over whether or not he would stay beyond this contract. Then in August, he comes out and says he's going to leave at the end of his contract. That's what he's agreed to. That's what he's promised his wife. But around Christmas time, Gags, and me and you spoke about this, he was asked about it again. And I think it could have been either David Lynch or Neil Jones who asked him the question about his future. And he said, at the moment, the plan is to leave in 2024. But I thought at the moment was really interesting because it kind of left the door open, like, well, at the moment, this is the plan, but plans can change. And then all these stories start coming out about, you know, his wife is going in the away end when Liverpool go to play anywhere. She's in the away end with a bunch of lunatics slapping around like, like a crazy person. And she loves it. And she seemed to be falling back in love with things. And then as this season goes on and we win a cup and we're in a cup final and we're in a Champions League semi-final and we're going for this quadruple and he just seems completely reinvigorated, completely re-energised and he seems to have found his mojo again. And, and, and I have to credit somebody and it's not someone normally who we would credit and <clears throat> you know people will take the piss. Indicator on March 28th was the first person to come out and say Liverpool have started talks with Jurgen Klopp around... Uh, That's the same Indy Kaler, by the way, who called Michael Edwards leaving before anyone else. So Yeah, so we, I contacted Indy, because I know Indy, and just said, "What are you, is that a piss take? Are you taking the piss? Or you Because know, I don't know when he's taking the piss and when he's not, because he's a funny guy. So I WhatsApped him, and he goes, no. That's legit. That's a legit Look, news that I've got. So he, the Here's day, the thing with Indy, right? Here's the thing with Indy. Indy has been doing this so long and he's built such a big following that by luck or by design, he has fallen into having a couple of decent connections here, there and everywhere. So he does get legitimate info. I mean, yes, most of what he does is is 
parody genius. But there is an aspect of the guy behind the account where he's been able to turn his Twitter fame into, well, quite a good living for a start. The original guy behind the account who sold it initially, he made a good bit of money off it. And then this guy that you know, he's done really well out of it. And he's also been able to make himself some really good connections. And he plays a game. He plays a game and he plays it at a higher level than everybody else. People that dismiss Indy are largely just jealous because he's got more followers than them. He's got a brilliant... um you know, way that he runs his account. It's funny, but then there's a few things chucked in there that are real, but people think oh, he's joking, they don't take it serious, but then they do happen. And it's like, you know, you've got to keep an eye on that, on that account. He's a he's a good guy as well, Indy. He's a dark horse, Indy. So um, here's another Indy K exclusive, almost. I was trying to work out how to work that into ITK. He never sold all of the account. Didn't sell it all. So the person that... Is messaging gags, and we know, and I've met a few times, is the very original indicator. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, I mean, I just want to put you're, one you're thing before I go. Right, go ahead. Is is the last thing is that I think Jürgen signed because of the song. <laughs> <laughs> that song yeah. is being belted out every game non-stop and last night it was unbelievable at the at the stadium it just you know it's such a brilliant song he must be loving it his wife is loving it you know i think she's got a couple of renditions last night as well yeah and it is it's just kind of funny that but it is kind of funny that he that that song comes about only in the last what the last month or so that that song has really become as prevalent as it is and it started benfica away then back we come, Man City, then Benfica home, then United home. And it's just carried on and on. It's just such a cracker. Because um, like this season, we haven't had a Champions League song like that. You know, normally we'll start by now. We would have a Champions League song of the teams that we played, scores that we've had, places that we visited, all that kind of stuff. It's not happened yet. But this song came out and it's like, you know what? It's okay, we haven't got a Champions League song, but we've got one that actually just embodies the club, the culture, the city. Everything all rolled into one, and it's such a belter, such a belter of a song. Massive. And it is just sort of funny that it's happened at the same time as he's ended up. Yeah, it's not, it's not the song. I'm just, I'm just it's, not the, just, it's not the song. It is just sort of funny. It is. It's just the love, the love of the club, the fans, has gone to another level as we've started to realise how special this season actually is and you know myself and you on old schools have been covering it we really started to think about how um you know this what could be possible and like we tried to temper expectations on Mm. old school about quads and things like that but still right now as it stands we're we're going into the semi-final you know, live. We're going. We're going to be live for every every cup in the Premier League at the time. The chances of the Premier League going to be live as well. So, we are now going to be the the record holding team as of May third, as the 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 longest, basically, the team that's gone the furthest in a season with a chance of a quad. The the last record being Chelsea um, May on 1st. May the first. So now, yeah. literally, we're in the realm of record breakers. So whatever happens from here, someone I just spoke to um, a City fan at work actually through um, um, didn't know that he was a City fan, and he was just saying, 
either, oh, if you don't win anything else, it's going to be disappointing. I said, actually, I'm not. Because I know that right now, I have never felt this way, this excited, this excited for where we are and how we're going. And no matter what happens from this point, we've, you know, it's only going to be something catastrophic that would stop us winning something. It'd be crazy. But I know that this is an amazing season and it will be no matter what. It's, it's a month to go. We are literally in every competition. We've won one and alive in everything else. And we've never been here before. I've never felt this before. None of us, not even the guys that witnessed the best stuff in the late, you know, 70s while I was being born. And so nobody's witnessed this. They've never felt being here. This is on the verge of being the greatest team in Liverpool's history. And with no, that, no, 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 no. This is on the verge of being the greatest team in history, not Liverpool's <laughs> history. In Brilliant. history, guys. The only other team who's won a proper quadruple like this, the only other team in any top, le- top league was Celtic in 1967. They won the Scottish Premiership, the Scottish Cup, the Scottish League Cup and the European Cup. And no one else has done it. Others have won different types of quadruples with, you know, like the, the DFB Pokal and little small Super Cups. No one has ever won a proper quadruple other than that Celtic team. When Manchester United, widely seen as the greatest English team ever who won that treble, when they won that treble that season, they won 36 games. In all competitions, they won 36 games. They only won six games in their Champions League run that year, by the way. Two in the group stage, four in the knockouts. We've all, we won six games in our group stage this year. We've already won 41 games this season. Five more than they won. In all likelihood, we're going to need to win at least seven of our remaining eight. The one we can afford not to win is this second leg. We can afford a draw or a 1-0 defeat, whatever. So we're going to have to win seven more games. If we do that, we'll have won 48 games this season. Like, 48 games this season. United won 36. That's a third more than they won. That is undeniably the greatest team in English history if we pull this off this year. Four trophies, 48, potentially 49 wins. It's, it's unmatched. Absolutely unmatched. Nobody has done this before. Not, not Guardiola's. Barcelona. Now, to be fair, they didn't have the opportunity because they don't have a League Cup the way we have a League Cup. They've got that weird Super Cup thing they do. It's a bit shit. Uh, not, not Saki's. Uh, Milan team, no one's done this before, other than Celtic in 67. You might as well be talking about a different sport. And and it's Scotland. It was the second league title they won in a run of nine in a row. So what was the level of competition domestically? Probably not much. This will be the greatest achievement in the history of club football if we pull it off. To get as close as we are now is a massive achievement. Like we're go- regardless, we've won more games this season than United won in their treble winning season. That, that, that alone is a hell of an achievement. We're in the, the final of the FA Cup. We're one step away from the final of the Champions League. Now, what we don't want to happen is we don't want to buy our Leverkusen 2001 scenario where you go into that last week with a chance of winning three trophies and end up with nothing. That would be the nightmare. But 
to be where we are, Carl, to be where we are, this is incredible. And Klopp signing on for four more years of this gives you the feeling that this might not be the last time that we we have a go at this. Even if we don't pull it off this season, we're going to be really well poised to have another go next season, the season after, and the one after that, and the one after that. Yeah, it would be in a great position to have a go, whether you actually get to have a go into the final months is obviously very, very difficult to do. Hence, we're now setting the record of going the furthest with a chance still to do it. But even so, I think we've learned by now, I think everyone associated with Liverpool should have learned by now that one, it's always about the journey. Two, it's always just about if we don't do it, we'll just go and win the next competition instead or try and do it again next year or anything. Nobody at the club is like overly concerned You know, if we happen to go out of the Champions League a little bit earlier than we should have because it's not about one game in isolation for them. It's about a, a really big long-term continual process and yeah, two more years of this just means that it continues, hopefully, in the same upward trajectory. Exactly. So we might as well leave the club thing there. We'll know more when the club announces more. Um, it is at the moment, it's just the, the David Ornstein exclusive that Klopp uh, has signed the extension. Obviously, other journalists will follow suit. Um, but we should be excited about everything right now. I mean, this this news, the, the game last night, the fact that we, we have the 2-0 advantage in the Champions League semi-final, it is a bit mad to think, though, that's the last Champions League game that'll be at Anfield this season. That's a little bit weird. But um, also in, I just want to get your thoughts on this, also in the Paul Joyce story from today, he does name drop two players that Liverpool are looking at this summer, one being Chouameni, the other being Calvin Ramsey, the young right-back from Aberdeen. Now, it's quite unusual for Paul Joyce to out now go and name players, it leads me to think maybe those deals are quite close to completion. Yeah, I mean, you can understand, obviously, if if the Ramsey one, for example, was fairly close. I mean, he's been a a semi-regular this season, pretty much, um, for Aberdeen. 18 years of age, I don't suppose there would be too many barriers to getting that deal done. You know, it doesn't tend to cost millions and millions to bring players in from the Scottish Premiership. Uh, Obviously, other clubs would be your main barrier there if, if they offer him more game time immediately or whatever. But Chermeni, I think a few of them have been quite clever here. I mean, I think it's really clear by now that, yeah, he's a main one we're looking at. But they've all said that it's going to be that skill set, you know, that type of player, that midfielder is going to be the next one. We've already added of the of the younger age groups, the Canate, we added Diaz into the attacking line. So it makes sense that it'd be a midfielder. And we've spoken about this unscouted quite a few times now and Chouameni is a standout candidate I I've seen a few reports sort of temper it by you know Liverpool understand that Real Madrid are interested and all the rest of it and again I still think that this is kind of leaning on what Real Madrid was rather than what Real Madrid always is at the moment um we've obviously mentioned the point of Camavinga going last year and he still isn't a first teamer it's still the same three midfielders so I don't necessarily think that Real Madrid wanting to buy someone immediately means you don't get them. See, that's the thing. Now, here's the other side of it as well. If I'm if I'm working for Real Madrid in a position of decision-making and I'm looking at the team that we have, 
it it's very clear to me that the biggest need, the most glaring need, the one that screams from a pit of hell is a right back. Because poor Danny Carvial left all his talent and ability in 2018. Whatever whatever deal with the devil he made to play for Real Madrid for as long as he had, reached the level he did despite being quite limited, and win four Champions Leagues, the devil took his talent away in 2018. He, he, that man can't play anymore. That's the biggest need. Centre-back is a glaring need. And obviously they want Mbappe and they want Haaland as well. Chumeni's name has been linked to them for a long time, but I wonder if much of the links to them is just lazy journalism because the other club he's always linked with is Chelsea. And they have no money. They're not allowed by anybody. And we don't know who their new owner is going to be or what their approach is going to be. And yet Chelsea are always chucked in as well as a club that are keeping an eye on him. So last January 2021, Ornstein says Liverpool are interested in Canate. And around April, Joyce says Liverpool are interested in Canate. And the deal was done a couple of weeks later. This January, Ornstein says Liverpool want too many. And this April, Joycey says Liverpool want too many. And Paul Joyce is so careful. He doesn't name players unless he's, unless things are fairly far down the line. He just doesn't bother because he just doesn't care enough about the clicks. You know, I, I don't know. As I, I said this before, Paul Joyce just, he's a national treasure and he should be protected. Like, if you see his tweet today with, with the link to his article, there's no little, no little teaser, no little thing to, to give you a taste of what's in the article to draw you in. He just puts the link out. There it is. Read it. Don't read it. I don't care. My work is done. I'll write no more. I think Joyce is really careful about what he does. And I know that he has to say, you know, Real Madrid are interested. But there's a lot of reports coming from Spain in recent days that Real aren't in for him including by that man with the ridiculously greased back hair. Nothing to say about him. <laughs> you are not goading he... me into it anymore. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean Unai Henry. I don't mean Unai Henry. You know your man, the, the TikTok man. What's, what's, what's his name? Um, oh, oh, I can't think of Yes, the him, yeah, yeah. So he says, he said today, Chumeni's not on the radar. So who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe it gets well, done. And if it, if well, it gets done... I'll tell done, you who doesn't know. He doesn't know. There you go. <laughs> um, look, if we can if we can get Chumeni done, it is a massive boost. If we get Ramsey, it solves another problem. We know that we've got Carvalho coming in. And that probably, Carl, unless somebody leaves, is going to be our summer business, bar possibly the addition of, you know, another Harvey Elliott type or a Kate Gordon type or a Bobby Clark or, you know, Carney Chukwomeka is the kind of the name I'm thinking of, a guy who's got a year left in his contract, massive prospect, clear he doesn't want to stay at Villa, someone we have been linked with in the past. I think if we get too many... That's the big signing taken care of. Ramsey sorts back up right back. Carvalho gives us uh, an added body in 
attack, and I would expect that Taki Minamino moves on with Carvalho sort of taking his minutes in the first season. We don't really need to do a lot unless unless Mane or Gomez or Costas leaves. But if if they leave, we'll replace them. But we may well in April be very close to already having taken this taken care of this summer. And Liverpool can just put their feet up while everybody else scrambles to get things done and thinks, well, we're already set for next year. Look at all you foolish clubs, you badly run clubs scrambling around. We've taken care of our business. I, I, to be perfectly honest, I would imagine if some you know footballing wizard waved a wand and in the last week of the season, Everton and Liverpool were forced to swap places, Liverpool would already know who they would want to sign to be in the championship with. Mm. And they, they would already know this. Everton, I'm willing to bet, still don't actually know who they would want. Not I'm, a clue. I'm sure they had a few ideas, but basically I'm pretty sure that the way that that club is, they wouldn't have a clue on who would definitely be interested in coming to them, who would definitely be within their budgets, all the rest of that stuff. It's just the way that Liverpool is run at the moment, it's so, so far ahead of anything that we've seen previously, to be honest. Carol. Hmm. They're far too busy fuming at Domino's and writing letters to the PGM well and the Premier League asking for explanations on decisions and, and writing to Nike to ask why uh, Richarlison hurt his ankle. Like, they're, they're far too caught up in you know, the really important things. But let me ask you a, a hypothetical question. The world flips on its axis and all of a sudden we're facing relegation and the EV are going for the quadruple. And I saw Everton fans talking about this yesterday, so I want your opinion on this. Would you accept relegation and potentially up to five years in the championship purely if it meant that they didn't win the quadruple? Because that's the conversation that Everton fans are currently... It'd be worth going down if they didn't win anything else. Dear me. Um, do you know what? We do a lot of made-up scenarios on this podcast and we, we go quite far out into the realms of possibility at times, but even that is beyond me. It's just <laughs> it's so far beyond plausible. I'm not, I'm not having it. They're a magnificent bunch. They really are. They just they exist... I think they exist at this point purely for, for us to laugh at them, because what else is the point of Everton? Um, this is this is turning out to be a good day with with the Klopp news and having won last night and things stretching out in front of us that look promising. A couple of really important Liverpool players, of course, next season will not have to go to the World Cup, so the likes of Mo Salah and Luis Diaz will be sitting at home getting a nice big rest in the middle of the season. That's a that's a plus. Um, but in the more immediate short term, we do play Newcastle United at the weekend. As you mentioned, they are one of the informed teams. Four wins in a row, the only team in the league who's done that at the minute. But also the second most points in the Premier League since the turn of the year uh, behind us. That in itself is very impressive. Just on a broad kind of, you know, broad strokes sort of look. What has Eddie Howe changed about Newcastle post-Christmas from what he was doing pre-Christmas that's resulted in these results? 
Oh, quite a lot. <laughs> um, they they defend as a unit now would be the first thing. Um, I wrote a piece about them about, it must be about a month ago, I suppose, now. Um, it was after he'd been in charge for 14 games. So there was like the first seven and Newcastle was still pretty horrendous in and then his next seven and they were clearly on the improvement level there. Uh, the numbers that they had improved on most notably were touches in the box, in the penalty box, the attacking uh, penalty box, the number of times that they had completed passes in the final third, the number of ball recoveries in the middle and final third, but also the XG of shots allowed against them had gone down significantly. The average distance that they had allowed shots to be taken from had increased, so they're forcing people to take lower quality chances from further outside you know, the penalty box or outside the penalty spot, that sort of thing. There was also uh, quite a notable decrease in the amount of passes that the opposition were allowed before a defensive action was made against them. Um, pressures were quite considerably up in the middle third as well. So all of this stems from basically two approaches. One, obviously, they're a little bit higher upfield in general, which allows people like Alan Maximan, Joel Linton, uh, Callum Wilson for about two games, I think, before he got injured and Ryan Fraser, who got back into the side as well. All of those were playing quite considerably higher upfield. They were able to do both their defensive and attacking stuff from about 30, 40 metres higher than they were under Steve Bruce and in the opening games under uh, Eddie Howe as well. And then defensively, obviously, they are protecting and working very, very hard. The centre-back partnership is looking pretty solid, I have to say. Um, it's not quick, I wouldn't say that. So there's some games where they do still revert to being a little bit deeper than than they would probably like to be at this point. But when you've got, um, let's say, Dan Byrne, Matt Target, Fabian Schaar, and any of the right-backs who have been rotated in and out according to fitness, it's not rapid. You know, you can't leave 40 metres behind you and still expect to defend really, really well. So they do drop off, but they work as a unit now. It's much, much better, a lot more cohesive than it was before. And also Dubravka has gone from having an absolutely dreadful season to back to where he was probably two years ago, where his shot stopping was like quite close to elite. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of different players have really stepped up for them. Some quite surprising. I mean, John Joe Shelby for a run of probably two months was displaying his best form since 2017-18 when he turned in a very good season and should have gone to the World Cup that summer. Um, I think Matt Target, rightly feeling scorned by what happened to him at Villa, where he was just shoved out of the team and then sent on loan. He has played exceptionally well for them. Uh, Yoki Mal, stepping in at right back when Trippier got hurt, has been a revelation for them there. And those two fullbacks... Combined with Fabian Schaar being, you know, cut free from the weight of having to carry Jamal Lachelles, who's been a shell of himself for years now, and Dan Byrne next to him, that back four just seems to have the right chemistry. It seems to have the right balance. The the fullbacks play differing roles. Target's more aggressive in getting forward. Mal is more conservative. It means that when they attack, Mal? they look. Hmm. Did you say Joachim Mal? Yeah. No. Who am I thinking of? Emil Kraft, I assume. Emil Kraft. Emil Kraft, not Joachim Mal. Emil Kraft. Sorry, he has been a revelation for them since stepping in for Kieran Trippier. 
But he's more conservative of conservative as a fullback than Trippier. He's not an attack-minded player. And when you ask him to be attack-minded, he's a train wreck. When you ask him just to do what he does, he keeps things very simple. And having him, Shar and Byrne as that defensive base, that allows them to be, you know, more aggressive, more expansive. You mentioned um, Jolington, and he may well be key to all of this because it seems like now, wherever he plays, it just works. It just works for him. He was playing as a number nine under Steve Bruce. They were lumping crosses into him, and it was a catastrophe. Eddie Howe took over, played him a little bit deeper, played him wide in some games, then moved him into midfield, and he all of a sudden became like Yaya Toure. He's played up front recently again against Norwich and scored two goals. He looks like a completely different player to the one we saw under Bruce. It's Have you ever seen a player transform his career as quickly as Jolington has in the changeover from Bruce to, to Eddie Howe? Uh, I've seen it as quick, but it's usually in the opposite direction, like Danny Carvajal that you mentioned earlier. Where they just fall off the cliff. Yes, yes, where their time has come and their expiration date has gone and one day they are in date and the next day they are very much not and they suddenly look like, you know, they belong in more like a tree plantation or something like that rather than a football pitch. Um, I mean, short of young players finally finding their consistency and that kind of thing, I don't think I remember a an upturn in an established senior player quite as dramatic as this one has been. And, you know, there's a lot to be said, obviously, for, for a manager getting the use out of a player in the way that he is the way that his skill set works best, let's say. You know, the mm. things that he was being used for under Bruce was basically as a a big target man up top, but with very little support around him. You know, he was expected to hold up the ball and turn two defenders and carry the ball and then wait until Almiron and a couple of others had got 40 yards further upfield to help him out. It just, it was never going to work. You know, it was never going to be the things that he's best at. But even so, it's quite surprising how how much of like a really good ball winner he has become for them, how much of um, you know a diligent tracker of runners, all that kind of stuff, which you wouldn't necessarily expect even from a, a hard-working forward. But he's, uh, like you say, he's, he's been pretty key to making it all work through the thirds, and especially because they've had quite a few injuries to people like so Max Mann missed a couple of games there. Callum Wilson mentioned he's, he's been out for a while. Like mm. They've had to rely on people like, uh, Dwight Gale coming off the bench for three or four minutes at a time. So it's it's very important that Jolinton stays fit for them. And along with Ryan Fraser, I would say, who's probably had a a new lease of life being, you know, actually able to play as a winger, not a wing back, not a right midfielder standing three yards in front of his right back in a back 17. All these kinds of things help people get back to what they were before. Obviously it helps with Fraser that he's he's worked under Eddie Howe before or whatever, but just using people in the areas of the pitch and using the skill sets that they had, which made them good in the first place. That's obviously all helped a lot. Yeah. And I think as well, big credit has to go to how for changing the entire culture and bringing the squad together as a collective group where everybody feels important. Everybody feels valued. Everybody feels like they can contribute. Like you mentioned Dwight Gale, it's short bursts off the bench, but by Christ, he is giving everything he has 
for every single minute he's on the pitch. Like, he's not just coming on and loafing about the way he had done previously. He's coming on and he's full speed the whole time. I, I Jolington, like, we laughed on previous scoutings about Newcastle's tactical setup of, you know, the flat back five and then a midfield three with Almiron basically playing next to the midfield and then Jolington, like, half the pitch away having to wait for, for the one runner that was allowed to join him. And he went from that and been largely seen as one of the bigger flops in the last however many years of the Premier League to someone that legitimately I was looking at a few weeks ago and thinking, would Carl laugh at me if I suggested we should sign him to be our right-sided eight? Is that too ridiculous to suggest that he might actually fit into what we want to do? Because no, he, ha- he, no. he just has, no, I'm not suggesting, but look, no. but you know, like there was just, there was, there was moments where you were watching and thinking, this is, this is not the same player. If this guy arrived in the Premier League and we didn't know anything, and none of the last couple of years had happened, we'd all be sitting there thinking, Newcastle have signed an absolute worldie. This, this guy is going to be unbelievable once he's fully settled in. He's only been here a few months and he's brilliant. It, it, it's incredible how he's turned it around. Um, normally, like you said, it, it's it's the Stefan Onshow thing where one week they're fine and the next week they can no longer be considered as footballers. He, he's gone completely the opposite direction. He, he has jumped, not climbed, he has jumped up the mountain. Yeah, not wrong. And look, the, the big thing that they've done, obviously, is find consistency quite quickly as a team. And that has come from... Obviously, having a set way of playing both on and off the ball, but also they've managed to get in the couple of people that they needed in defence who are better than what they had before. I think I mentioned, I think when we did the pre-January transfer window, Shah was the one who I would be leaning on to start. But you know, Lascelles had not had a good season at all at that point. He's come into the side now and then when they've needed him to, and he's been better. Um, he's not. I don't. I wouldn't say he's like at the top of his game or anything like that. I don't think he's going to become a fixture in the team for them again. But he has been improved. So obviously, there's a lot of man management which has gone in there as well. A lot more uh, confidence around the place, which you can expect. That comes with victories and with decent performances. And um, when you've got obviously one big boost, which is in this case Bruno Guimaraes coming in and you know, showing them basically the level of the caliber of player they might be playing with next season if they do well this season. Uh, I think that's a pretty good motivator as well. Yeah, without question, without question. And there is just, there is something starting to bubble. Like, look, it was a massive, big, brave decision by Eddie Howe as a new manager at Newcastle to drop the club captain. Like, that, that takes balls, but it also shows he did have the backing of those above him. So credit goes to everybody for how they've turned things around. Now, you mentioned January, and obviously they were um, aggressive in the transfer market in January. They bid for somewhere in the region of about 200 players. Uh, They end up with Trippier, who had a a decent start, but then got hurt and hasn't been part of it. Chris Wood came in from Burnley for £25 I think he's got two goals, and one of them was a penalty if memory serves. Yeah, two goals and one was a penalty. He, but he's he's offered them something. And when 
Wilson got hurt, he became even more important. Dan Byrne, we've discussed how the defence has improved. And we've discussed Matt Target. But the one they got that was sort of a, a wow moment. And it's taken him a bit of time to establish himself as a starter. But he's already got four goals in 13 games, even though scoring goals is one of the last things you'd think about for him, is Bruno Gomerich, who is an outstanding footballer. And when I think about the potential of Newcastle building a title-winning team, he's the one player they have now that I think could be a starter in a team that goes on to win the Premier League. He, he has a bit of everything to his game. He's a great passer. He's excellent defensively. He's diligent. He works hard. He reads the game well. Very tactically switched on. What What's your thoughts on him thus far? And do you think the likes of Arsenal and Tottenham, who were scre- and Manchester United, screaming out for a midfielder like him, will regret not making a move in January when obviously he was available? Yes, pretty much everybody from um, Chelsea downwards in the league should probably have been signing this guy. He was, I think, for about the last three years, pretty much, he's been on the cusp of being really good. And this season, even if earlier in the campaign, he he didn't really hit the heights he's capable of. I think he's shown it for long enough now and in this summer at the Olympics as well. Loads and loads of reasons to buy this guy, especially when you are in a position of needing to improve needing to rebuild a team to some extent for some of those sides, a skill set which can be used in many different tactical roles. I've I've been surprised, to be fair, how high upfield he's been playing for Newcastle. I thought he might be, you know, one of the deeper ones, maybe in the role that Shelby has played or alongside him. Uh, But he seems to have a lot more license to really break forward and get beyond the centre forward at times even. Uh, really pressing high upfield as we saw for his goal against Norwich, for example, a bit of a, a one-off you would imagine, but that kind of area is where he's been in to get into the box on the end of cutbacks and second balls, all that kind of thing. That's where most of his goals have come from. So using him at the minute, I think in an attack and sense, just to get him involved and to utilize the technical skills that he has, but longer term, if they do you know, really add like a, a proper top tier ball-winning, ball-carrying sort of midfielder instead of, let's say, where Longstaff or Willock has been playing some of the time. Yeah. Uh, maybe then you could see Yamarish uh, reverting to, like, the six instead. Yeah, back into a, kind of a more natural role for him. But I suppose one of the things it does, because, you know, like you mentioned earlier, they have improved defensively, and one of the ways they've done that is by just playing higher up the pitch. And getting a player with his defensive skill set and playing him that bit more advanced allows them to start defending that bit higher up, trying to win the ball back, something he's very good at. And it does ease a lot of the pressure off those behind them because there's some questionable, there's still some questionable players in this mm-hmm. Newcastle team, of course. Sure. You know, it's largely the team that were bottom of the league for a while. It, it hasn't all just gone away. Some of them still aren't very good. They're just playing well at the minute in a team that's confident. So by using him that way, you're also protecting what's behind. And we've seen other managers do it. Like we've seen when Naby was with, with was with Leipzig, we we saw him deployed as a number ten at times when that was a bit of a foreign role for him. But it allowed him to use his ball winning higher up. And then once he had the ball back, his creativity came into play in the final third as opposed to in midfield. 
Are you suggesting that he's uh, the new Freddie Guarin? There'll never be another Freddie Guarin. <laughs> no, nor should there be, ever be another Freddie <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a little bit like um, Arturo Vidal when he was used like yes. almost as number 10, basically, for uh, Leverkusen. Or Nangalan. Yeah, Nangalan as well, yeah. yeah. Probably not quite as aggressive as those two. But in the same role, in terms of being a, a very, very high upfield ball winner who actually is really, really good on the ball. Yeah, exactly. Like a defensive number 10 who's also really good in the number 10 role once he gets the ball. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got um, one little bit of one. I know we've already done this section on the clock on the podcast, but just yeah. one that coming out now, one of the more recent reports, Dave Maddock of the Mirror says that the deal will run to 2026, but also an option for longer. Oh. What's Carol, what if he just decides, I'm just staying. I'm not leaving, ever. They're carting me out of here in a box. What if he does a Wenger type of tenure? Like, what? Why? If if he's going to manage, because I don't believe he'll retire when he leaves Liverpool. Where else is he going to get what he has here, where he has complete control? Every decision goes through him, from the smallest thing in the cafeteria, right through to the design of the new stands. He gets involvement and say in everything. Why would he leave? They gave him the training ground that he wanted to bring the academy together. He's got all the players he could want. And there might be more to come this summer, other than the names already mentioned that we just don't know about. Like, this club will will bend to his will because he warrants it. And where else is he going to get that? Like, if he goes... Some people said he could take the German national team job, but number one, I I don't know that the, the German national team and the way it operates is is really set up for the way Klopp works. Like he's not going to have to, he's not going to want to have to answer to you know Oliver Bierhoff, who couldn't manage his way out of a wet paper bag with a knife when a result goes the wrong way. He's not going to want that. He's also not going to want the fact that you can have a bad result and not see your team again for three months. You know? So, hmm. I, I I don't know. Like there is, I think there's a real possibility that he just stays and, and that the way Liverpool give him a bit of a break is they invest more in the coaching side of things and they give him more staff and they give him more people that can take on responsibility and they upgrade the sports science department even further and whatever whatever it is it needs, but you just take some of it off his plate where he is just overseeing everything. Similar to, to how Ferguson operated at United. Remember, Ferguson was retiring in like 2002 and he stayed an entire decade after that. They give him... Wasn't it Veron and Van Nistelrooy were like his retirement presence, and then he stayed another ten years. What if yeah, Klopp like, stays another ten years? I, I I think that I mean I don't know how long. I think firstly the thing that you said is important. He's got to feel 
like he can, like he wants to be, like he wants to commit himself completely to it. And maybe this year that has come back in full force and maybe that'll last for five years. Maybe that'll last for longer. Nobody knows what will happen, obviously, that far down the line. Mm. But I think that that that, that support network is probably the most important thing for him, being able to bring in, you know, people like... um, Thomas Gronemark, for example, and all the flack that Liverpool got from outsider, but it was something that Klopp was keen to explore because he thought that that might help. But all these tiny things. Euro 11, the same? Yeah, exactly. It's not like a massive deal on the scope of things, but actually all of it together, one, has worked and improves Liverpool as a a team and as a club, and two, is something that he wants and he believes in. He wants the opportunity to to let people show how good they are. I mean, even you think back to... um, God, his name's completely gone out of my head now. Uh, Critchley, who was our under-23 manager. Yeah. Yeah, and and letting him obviously move on and become a, a manager elsewhere. And then the same for Steven Gerrard. And then maybe we'll see the same for Pepin Linders, which has already happened once and could well happen again over this period of time. All of this kind of stuff is is what I think Klopp loves about his role. That he has mm. not just the autonomy to do it, but the real support around him to do it, to to make these additions, to let people improve themselves. It's not just about promoting people from the under 23s to the seniors and then trying to win a title. It is all about the personal development and the, the club and everything yeah. else for him. And I think that that's, I, that's the most. I don't know if you've seen the, the recent overlap with Gary Neville and Steven Gerrard. Um, if you haven't. Yeah. yeah. So, so when, Ger- when Gerrard talks about sitting down with Klopp and the advice that Klopp gave him and how Klopp basically said to him, you take your own team and play whatever style you want. Don't even worry about it being the same as what we're doing here with the first team. Because the 23s mirrors the first team. So don't take the 23s. Take another team. And like just giving him that, that kind of autonomy to run his own team in his own way without the cameras on him. I think Klopp gets so much out of that. I think that's the kind of next iteration overseeing the development of footballers. But Liverpool becomes over. Young coaches come to learn from him. He gives them advice, but gives them freedom. There's no cameras, no pressure. And then we develop and, and they leave up, they go on to do their own thing, like like Stephen did, like you mentioned Neil Critchley did. Why wouldn't he want to do more of that and have more and more Klopp disciples out there? Like he, he had it at Dortmund where there was like a string of coaches came through and he worked with them all and all of them speak glowingly about him. This is what he wants. He wants Jurgen wants to have a really happy environment where everybody's learning and everybody is pulling in the one direction and everybody's positive about things. And, you know, the success will come if you do the right things. I think he, I think that's his mindset. His mindset isn't that you set out to win a Premier League or a Champions League. It's that you set out to win or set out to do X, Y, and Z. And if you do those then the success will come. And, you know, I've also, I've also realized, and we were, we've all been wrong. I know now why he has chosen to extend. I, I'm breaking this news here live on this podcast. I know why Jürgen has chosen this money to extend his contract. Would you like to know? 
If people would like to hear it, put it in the chat. I have the official reason. Okay, Sean has asked. Lubo's asking. The reason, the only reason he is extending his contract is because he's finally learned how to say his name in a Scouse accent. And that's it. That's why he's staying. Match, it's gone. It's just me. I'm here by myself, so I'm just going to keep talking. Uh, good tweet there from Dave Powell. This morning, Mina Riola was dead and Jurgen Klopp is leaving Liverpool in 2024. This afternoon, Mina Riola is alive and Jurgen Klopp has signed a new deal at Liverpool. That is magnificent stuff. Yeah, Matchett. Oh, Matchett's back. He's on mute again, but he's back. There he is. Hello. Sorry. Did you hear my 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 theory, my theorem, my my explanation? I heard some words and not the rest. You don't deserve. You can listen back. You can listen back. Give me your Liverpool eleven, Carl, for <laughs> Liverpool versus Newcastle until we until we get this finished. Right. Okay. Um, how many days have we got between Newcastle and next game? Um, well, two full days of recovery, Sunday, Monday. But although I assume we fly on Monday, so only really Sunday as a day for the players to fully relax. Mm, might be a Tuesday morning flight then, that one, and then have a training session when we get there, I guess, because they'll do the pre-match conferences on Merseyside before flying, I guess, which would probably be evening time. So with that in mind, Alison. Trent, Matip, Virgil, Robbo, because Costas has been ill, hasn't he? Yes, Costas is ill. Uh, Fabinho, Naby, another midfielder, Jota to start. Diaz to start and Salah to start. Doesn't feel like enough changes for the turnaround, but I know that's the thing. I wonder. I wonder if Fabinho sits out and Henderson plays the six with Jones as the third midfielder. So Jones, Henderson, Naby. Well, Jones wasn't available midweek either, was he? Oh, Jones is sick as well, isn't he? Yeah. I I don't think he'll start Elliot. No. So I'm guessing then. Oh, I think, are you, you going to suggest James Milner? No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, not even in a fit would I suggest James Milner. I I put you in the team before I put Milner in the team, and you've only got one good leg now after that knee injury I'm you up. had a few years ago. I'm up. Um, <laughs> I would say. I would say Henderson, Fabinho, and Keita is probably the the choice here, and then Keita, Fabinho, and Na- and Thiago in the away leg, and then Henderson comes back in for the following league game. But because I, I, I just I don't see any possibility that he starts Ox. No, I think his days are done. Um. See, this Bobby, is what I was saying this is what I was saying a few weeks ago, you know, that we're going to get to this point into the last like six weeks or eight weeks of the season, and it's going to become a core of like fourteen, fifteen players who start every single game, and there'll just be two or three of them rotated in and out. But you get to a point like this one where there's only like two and a bit days between full time and kickoff. Would you uh, rest Trent and start Joe? 
No, given set maximum. Not, not, not if Thiago's not playing. That's fair. That is fair. Um, I don't think we see, can start all of those. Let's say previously brittle ones. Not all of them. No, and Bobby's Bobby's injury just complicates things a little bit because this would be the ideal game for Bobby to start with Jota on the right and Diaz on the left right. and give can, Sadio. Can I offer you? Can I offer you? Divock Rigi up front. Yeah, can I offer you an alternative? We've done you this can, against Newcastle before. A four-two-three-one from the start. Fabinho and Henderson paired up. Yuck. Origi as the, the nine, and pick your ones in behind. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, we have done it before. Against Lubo Newcastle. says Bobby might be back for Newcastle, but I don't think he'll start even if he is back. Yeah, I agree. Um, he, was, he was almost back for Everton. He was almost back for Villarreal. So even if he's just about back for this one, I don't think he's straight. So, so Adam asks a question here. What's a decent team that Newcastle have trouble? So I actually did this the other day on two-footed, and I was surprised at how easy their run has actually been. So to start this year, they played Watford at home. They drew. They beat a bad Leeds team away. They beat Everton at home. They beat a bad Villa team. They drew away with West Ham. That's probably the best team they've gotten a result against. Um, they beat Brentford when Brentford were awful, beat Brighton when they were in the midst of six in a row uh, of defeats. Southampton are the weirdest team in the league. They lost to Chelsea. They lost to a dreadful Everton team. They got walloped by by Spurs, who are the best team they've played in this run, other than Chelsea. Uh, Wolves is probably their best win. They beat Wolves 1-0. They beat an average Leicester team 2-1. They beat Palace 1-0 and they beat Norwich 3-0. That Wolves win is probably their best win. And Wolves' season has sort of hit the skids. So, look, it's admirable that they've picked up these 10 wins and two draws since the turn of the year, considering it was one win and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine draws. Uh, Eight draws? Eight or nine draws? Eight draws prior to the turn of the year. So, look, they've turned things around really well, but they have been helped by the fact that they've had an easy enough run. Their remaining games are us, City, and Arsenal, so three of the top four. Um, And then Burnley on the last day of the season when hopefully Burnley beat them and send the Ev down. We should beat them, Carl. They're, They're definitely on the up. They're definitely a team... Moving in the right direction, they're playing with confidence, but so are we, and we're a much better team to a man. I, I don't know that any of the uh, Gomerish is the only player I would actually genuinely take at Liverpool, and I, I think he could start in our team. Gomerish, Fabinho, Thiago could be a really good midfield, but we should win this game. We should win this game. I'm going to go first on predictions. And I'm saying 2-0 to the Reds. I, I think this is going to be a, a sticky game to overcome, to be honest. I think this is one... I completely agree. We should. We should be pretty much everyone we play, let's be honest, because we're the greatest side on the planet right now. But there are certain games where you've had this ridiculous run of mental toll fixtures and big, big highs. And this is what I said before when Gags was on. I don't think it's going to be coincidence that we make it before this game to even give the players and the fans who go a bit of a boost you know because there is that danger that it's like early kickoff Saturday bit of a travel not a derby not a Man City not a you know cup knockout game or anything like that it's it's more mundane 
but there's still no room for error. You know, if we drop a points there, probably say goodbye to the title, don't you, at this point? So yeah, we need every single little lift that we can. So I wouldn't be surprised if you know, the contract thing is, is one of them. And I think, I think that given the confidence levels that they'll have, I hope, I hope that Newcastle use this as an opportunity and probably have belief in their own results recently to say, well, we'll start the game by playing the same way. You know, we'll, we'll try and be aggressive and we'll try and be on the front foot and create things. I hope they do that and leave all the spaces for us to, to gallop mm. into at will. And hopefully we can score, you know, in the first 10, 15 minutes, something like four goals and just set everyone's mind at rest a little bit. <laughs> get get the weekend off to a good start. And then we worry about the, the next 70 minutes of the match after that, you know. Um, so that would be ideal. I don't think it'll be too far wrong with the scoreline. I'm I'm going to make it a little bit more wild, just as a prediction, and say 3-2. Ooh. Oh, spicy one. Yeah, I can see this one being one of those ones where we take a while to get going. They score and sort of give themselves, oh my God, we're going to win the league next season sort of feelings. And then we sort of realise, oh, crap, we best do some stuff and then uh, have to do bits. And to be honest, that, that lineup that you put in with Bruno Gamadish in, in, uh, in midfield for us sounds nice, but doesn't leave loads of room for Germany. True. That, I, I'd only take them now. I won't be taking them once we sign. <laughs> Once we I, I also man. just realised I, when I was giving you the four-two-three-one, I put Henderson in. I obviously meant Cater, so Cater and Fabinho That's as the double better. pivot. Do you know you could play? You could play Cater, Henderson, Cater, Fabinho as a double pivot. If Bobby is fit, you could play him as a ten. I'd I'd love to see Ox get one game as a ten, just to see if if it could if it could be anything. Just with his power running from that sort of area. I, I do wonder, because obviously we build wide quite a bit, and Ox as an off-ball runner, that much more advanced. And also, just pressing the life out of the likes of John Joe Shelby and Sean Longstaff, uh, who wouldn't enjoy their afternoon with the Ox. Here's to John Joe Shelby. John Joe Shelby is due a red card. Um, let me just have a quick look. What, what's John Joe Shelby's uh, disciplinary carry-on being this season? I don't remember him being sent off, but he doesn't. He enjoy. He's he's been sent off once. He was sent off for two yellow cards. Mm. John Joe is due a straight red. So here's hoping this is the game where he gets a straight red. Obviously, we don't want anyone of Liverpool to get injured. So you know he gets caught as the last man off a set piece or something, and he holds down Salah and he just gets the line after 25 minutes. And you know that'll set us up nicely. Um, yeah, we'll we'll take John. Joe. John Joe's been captain of late as well. Maybe that's helping him mature. But uh, no, we'll take a John Joe Shelby red card if if at all possible. Hasn't been sent off since Spurs back in October. He's definitely due. He's definitely due. It was the second appearance of the game of the season, and he got himself sent off in a twenty-three minute cameo. So fair play to John Joe for uh, keeping up appearances. I'm pretty um, sure. I'm pretty sure Shelby's on like a 300 game run now of either scoring, getting sent off, or scoring an own goal against Liverpool. Do you remember that game? Do you remember what we played? We the played the one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did all the things. Yeah, all the things. He's he's a great lad. He's a great lad. He does a little bit of everything. Some of it's good, most of it isn't, but it is what it is. Um. 
yeah, I, I think we'll win this game. And then obviously we go to Villarreal and we've given ourselves a, a situation where we can be a little bit comfortable in that second leg. We don't have to be, you know, to push from the off. We can let the game come to us. Let them come and play us. Why not? Because they, they're the ones that need to score the two goals. But the big thing about this weekend, Carl, is that if we win, we go top and it puts all the pressure back on Manchester City. And the last thing we're going to touch on before we finish is Man City versus Leeds. Now, you are a self-admitted member of the Jesse Marsh fan club. Uh, I'm not sure what your role in that fan club is. I don't think you're president, but you could well be, you know, uh, secretary or treasurer of said group. Is there any chance that Jesse Marsh pulls off a result against City and we spend the next episode of Scouted playing Real American, the Hulk Hogan theme music for the entire podcast? I'd love to say yes, but I mean, his his pre-match comments so far suggest that they're just going to go out and play the way that they always do, which has a few people fearing that, you know, it might be like 9-0 at halftime kind of thing. (laughs) But Leeds have only conceded one in the last three games. Now, when you get to this stage of the season, I'm not 100% sure that like all the stats are that meaningful because you've got some teams switching off by now, like Southampton season is kind of you know, it's getting to that end of season thing where they either draw nil nil or draw four four every single game. Um, so I'm not 100 percent sure they're still obviously fighting relegation, which is I think something in our corner. They probably need one more result to be certain of it. I'd say hasn't got to come in this particular match, but it'd be really, 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 really helpful if it did. It would. It would be massively helpful, and if if they lost the title at Leeds, uh, it it would just be funny. It would just be Stars, funny. Cons- Star Spangled Banner for our intro next week. Yeah, Star Spangled Banner. We'll we'll recite the pledge of allegiance. We'll hug a flag. I've got an I've got an Irish Republic flag lying around somewhere. It doesn't have to be an American flag. You can just hug a flag. They're just they're into hugging flags. And then we'll talk about you know great American things like Hulk Hogan yeah. and Bruce Springsteen. And, I don't know, Coca-Cola will dedicate an entire show to America if we win. Uh, that's, that's, if, if Leeds win. Le- a draw, a draw will do. A draw. If Leeds yeah, take a point, fun. we will do a full hour on America. Right, he's from Wisconsin. <laughs> Let's see, what's the, the, the animal of Wisconsin is, is a, the American badger. That's, oh, the, American that's badger the state animal. Right. Yeah. State animal, American yes. badger. I'll, I'll sponsor one if... if uh, if they get a point, there you go. And I will sponsor a, a book in honour of the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, we'll drink some Miller Light. Well, I won't. Yes. I don't drink. You'll drink some Miller Light. Um, I the, the cheese. They have cheese in Wisconsin because the Green Bay Packers fans are the cheese heads. So we'll have cheese on the podcast. That's what we'll do. Fucking Star Spangled Banner, Pledge of Allegiance, Real American. Deers, Badgers, Cheese and Miller Light. That's what the podcast will be if Leeds can pull off the miracle. It's worth noting, in the last five games, Leeds have drawn two, drawn two and won three. And City have drawn two and won three. These teams are in identical form. That means they're the same. So Leeds, <laughs> have, a ch- Leeds have a chance. And let's not forget, all this has got to happen after we win. 
after we win. After we win. Eddie Howe, just remember the favours we've done for you in the past. We sold you Jordan Ibe at the knockdown price of 15 million. Brad Smith at the knockdown price of 6 million. And Dominic Solanke at the knockdown price of 21 million. So you owe us, Eddie Howe. You owe us. And we will see you next time. Mr. Matchett, anything you want to plug before we say goodbye? No, just enjoy it. When the news breaks, take it for what it is. When it does finally go through, keep enjoying the ride because this has been pretty wild over the last few years and hopefully quite a few more to come now. And stick exactly. with us while it, while it all goes on. Exactly. Kloppo is committing to what will make him Liverpool manager for 11 years at the end of that contract. That is crazy to think. 11 years he would have been at Liverpool by the end of that. And sure, once you're 11 years, you might as well stay for 20, Jürgen. I mean, it, it's the same thing. You might as well stay 20. Uh, we'll see you next time. Follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Matchett and follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.